Well, good evening, faith community. I, I guess I should say good morning, uh, but welcome to the second Sunday in Advent. Um, I love the Advent season because I think for me, it's a season of time in which I sense God's invitation to share my disappointment, share my longing, share my unfulfilled yearnings, um, and confess them to Him that He might prompt fresh faith um, because if these yearnings or longings within me were ever to die that I think that which might be most essential uh, to my life and faith uh, would die and so Advent is a season to rekindle the promise Uh, quite a while ago I I wrote this um, blessed are those for whom Advent is a state of mind and not a season a passion for life and not a passing feeling, a yearning yet to be and not a longing fulfilled. For they will behold the promise who comes to the ones whose lives are riddled with disappointment with God, whose spirits have grown dry and distant from their God through fatigue or compromise, and whose hearts long to be part of God's kingdom movement today. Advent makes no sense to the satisfied, neither does it promise meaning to the pessimist, who chooses to find significance in perpetual despair. Advent holds promise only for those whose lives are a painful incongruity between their present circumstances and their daily yearnings. Advent calls us to hold on to God's precious promises that when we are tempted to surrender daily. Advent shouts, don't give up. Your season of fulfillment will come. So it's this discontinuous place where we have longing and yet we have promise, where we have unfulfillment and yet we have the guarantee of God's faithfulness. And so I I think people who don't show our faith can't understand that we can have a season of both, of longing and of promise. And that's why As we go into the second week of Advent, I'd like us to reflect for a moment upon two people that I consider the patron saints of Advent, uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth. If there ever was a couple uh, that had the right pedigree, it's Zachariah and Elizabeth. Both of them are descendants of priests. Uh, Zachariah himself is a priest from the family of Abijah, uh, but Elizabeth is called a daughter of Aaron, which means she's, she's the daughter of a priestly tribe, of a priestly clan. And together these two um, find one another, they're betrothed to one another. Uh, his name, Zechariah, means God remembers, and her name means God's oath. Uh, not that we take an oath to God, although we can. Uh, it's a promise of God's faithfulness, that God has taken an oath to be faithful. And so these two are betrothed and God remembers, marries God's oath, and the two have a whole future in front of them. But like so many, uh, their future is not what they hoped it would be. And as time goes by, their hopes turn to longing and yearning that goes unfulfilled and eventually leads to a sense of futility and despair because they could never have children. Uh, The scriptures tell us that Elizabeth was barren and so this hope 
this longing for children will go unfulfilled. In first century Judaism, to be a, a couple without children was to carry a stigma. Maybe God doesn't love you. Maybe there's something you did to make God angry with you, uh, to bring this curse of childlessness. Um, maybe there's something in your family tree that disqualifies you. And to be a priestly couple and to be barren carried even a greater stigma. And so this couple, now quite old and advanced, uh, have given up on this longing for children. So Zachariah is a priest, which means that he's part of about 15 to 20,000 priests uh, alive in, the, in his day. And twice a year, priests would be selected by lottery to go up to Jerusalem and serve in the temple. And so what would happen is, is that records would be kept and those that never had the chance to serve in the temple would be um, put into this lottery. And so to be selected uh, was never guaranteed in, in the course of one's lifetime. But to be chosen, this was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And so it is that the lottery falls to Zechariah. And so he goes up to Jerusalem one season and he serves at the temple. There would be 24 rotations of service throughout the day. And Scripture doesn't say what part of the day uh, he served, but his time came up and he, he came forward to serve in Jerusalem. Now, at the temple, the temple was divided into regions or precincts or porticos, porches. And in one section was called the portico, portico of the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Then you had the area for the Jewish people that and then there were a series of steps onto a large area where the altar of sacrifice was. Um, behind the altar was a chamber called the holy place, and in that you would offer fragrant offerings, incense, and another sacrifice before the Lord. And beyond that chamber was the holy of holies, where the high priest could enter only once a year on the Day of Atonement. And so Zechariah was chosen to offer the incense. And what you would do, you would go into that, that chamber, that holy place, and you would present incense uh, into, in the fire pan before the Lord. And then you would lay prostrate on the ground praying. And while you were doing that, the people outside would, would chant, May the merciful God enter the holy place and accept with favor the offering of his people, because as the priest, you were acting on behalf of the people, not just yourself. And so there Zechariah is in the temple, having made this offering of incense before the Lord, laying there prostrate, when an angel appears before him and calls him by name and indicates that God has heard their longings and is going to fulfill his promise to them. Now, Zechariah, being a man of faith and a realist, a pragmatist, he, he says, I am old, sounding very much like Abraham, uh, who, when promised an heir, uh, said, I'm old, and furthermore, my wife is old. So, Zechariah is, is, is walking in that great tradition, and he says to the angel, I'm old. 
meaning that his wife is old. And the angel responds to Zechariah's declaration, I am old, by making his own declaration. I am Gabriel, and I come from the very throne and presence of the Lord. Being old is surpassed by being Gabriel. And so <laughs> the angel says to him, your prayers have been heard. Uh, God is going to fulfill his promise to you. Zechariah responds says, how, how can I know this is true? And the angel says, this is going to be a sign to you. You're going to be mute until the day your son is born. And when he's born, you're to call him John, which means God's gift. So God remembers who married God's oath is going to bear a child, God's gift. And he leaves the temple mute, unable to speak, and he returns home. And somehow he communicates to Elizabeth the promise of God, but this is not going to be an immaculate conception like uh, Mary's. Uh, this is going to be a result of them taking steps of faith. This couple that gave up long ago having any expectation of a child are now going to take the next step of faith where uh, they are going to be intimate together by faith in hope that they're going to have a son. And on the day in which their son was born, he can't speak to name the child, and so Elizabeth names the child, which is just this wonderful way that God uh, illustrates how he includes everyone uh, in his promises because in Zechariah's day, a, woman's, a woman would never name the child. That was Naming was the man's right. And that's the beginning of the Christmas story. A couple who had been in anguish for decades, finally having their promise fulfilled. And so, what does, this, what does this passage teach us? I think the first thing it teaches us is to allow God's promise to discover us afresh in those areas of our life that feel racked by futility. I think it's to allow God's promise to awaken our yearning and our longing in the most vulnerable places where we've given up, where we have suspended hope. We still believe in God. We just have given up that his promises have meaning for us. And like Zachariah and Elizabeth, we will allow faith to be rekindled in hopes that our promise will come. It's easy to have faith uh, when you're only waiting a month. Any couple who gets married and has hopes of having a ch children, when they start to try and have, uh, have a child, they may go a month without conception and friends in the faith might encourage them, sometimes even think they're speaking prophetically, you know, the, the Lord's going to bless you with a child and you listen to that and you receive that and you welcome that and to go a month without conception doesn't shake our faith or doesn't shake our trust 
And if we're trying and two months go by or three months go by, we know that that's not unusual or abnormal. But after 10, 11, or 12 months, now we start to become apprehensive. Now we start to wonder. And one year goes by, and two years goes by, and three years goes by. And before you know it, 10 years has gone by. Now it's much more difficult to have faith in that promise and hope because every time you consider it and you dream and you long and you yearn, there's a part of you that's enduring heartbreak as well. And then there becomes that nexus moment for many when, when heartbreak overtakes the promise. And because it is, it is so heartbreaking, you give up the promise, you give up the hope. But the problem is, is that when we give up that hope, something deep within us dies as well. And so that's the challenge, I think, of Advent. The challenge of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, this couple that had endured decades to the point that they had given into futility when the angel of the Lord uh, surprises them. So as we consider them, I want to encourage you to go to a very vulnerable and frail place for those of you who are struggling with unfulfilled longings and yearnings, dreams, hopes that, have, that may never be fulfilled in your mortal lifetime. Will you let the promise of God stir faith and hope in those places that you feel most vulnerable? I think the other thing in this story that I find meaningful is the a whole idea of next steps. I, I think faith is a journey uh, that's a journey of 10,000 yeses. That what makes faith active is that in the moment we take the next step of saying yes to God. And so Zechariah has to leave the temple saying yes to God by taking the next step by returning home, by talking to Elizabeth, by becoming intimate again with his wife at, at an old age, not merely to express affection or love, uh, but in hopes of conceiving. And there must have been this, this sense of longing and joy, hope and apprehensiveness, almost like, are we playing an old tape? Is this going to be the same old, same old. Did I, did the, in, maybe, you know, maybe he thinks, did the incense uh, give me a vision that wasn't from God? It was more an hallucination. But here we go again, taking that next step. And they take that next step. And that next step not only fulfills their longing, but fulfills the longing of others because God's promises are never just to us individually, uh, they're to, to us as a community, both personal but also communal. It's, it's rarely just ever for myself in a selfish or self-centered way. In fact, I'd like to suggest to you this thought, that frequently, I think as we take our next steps towards God, 
in the very place of our longing, in the very place of our vulnerability, you will find that your next steps will represent God's next steps to someone who he is desiring to care and reach out towards. Because there's something about taking those next steps that put us in alignment, put us in, into God's presence um, in a way that withholding faith, withholding those next steps prohibit. And so as, as I take my next step towards God in the very place that I long, I, I am surprised at how God positions me to be his next step in the life of someone else. And that's really, I think, critical to Advent because Advent is a community time. It's a community time of longing and promise. It's a time we share together. It's a time in which we ache and we grieve together. It's a time that we rejoice and we anticipate together. So maybe this is your 10th time or first time online with us. Maybe this is your 100th. Well, we haven't done this 100 times and hopefully we won't for the reason of COVID. But, um, but as we gather together this weekend, this second Sunday in Advent, I, I would like to suggest to you that your next step can be God's next step, both towards you and through you to someone else. Our yearnings are not futile. They can feel like it, but I've learned from my own life that in those very areas that I have yearnings and longings, which I've carried with me for decades that are yet unfulfilled, I realize that if I give up on those areas, then something within me that is life-giving and essential to who I am uh, dies with that. And so I've reconciled that it's better to go to my grave with unfulfilled longings, but fully alive, fully aware, than it would be to allow them to die and disintegrate and have an emptiness there where there's a fullness of expectation. Dear ones, nothing is futile, but the time and the waiting can feel like it. Advent's a time for us to confess that to the Lord, receive his peace, not give up, and like Zechariah leaving the temple, returning home, and becoming intimate with his wife, it's a time for us to take our next steps and see how God leads us. Happy Advent. God bless you all.